Welcome back to Horoscope Witch. It's Mal, and today we are finally at the Artist Way Part 3 Horoscope Witch Book Club. <laughs> I know it's been a while, guys. I know, I know. So, if you are new to this series, do know that I have an Artist Way Part 1 and Part 2. So, perhaps listen to those two episodes before arriving here. Although, if you for some reason just feel called and you landed on this episode randomly, uh, I would trust that because maybe there's just a message for you here. So either way, whether you've been listening to this series or not, you're definitely welcome. If you are new here, here's the, the, the sort of overview of how Book Club works here on the Horoscope Witch podcast. Uh, you know, certainly there's been many of you who have read the books during book club, and I'm so appreciative of that. And I, um, I don't know, it's just, it's just sweet. Like, and it gives me a nice feeling when I know that I've inspired you to read a book that has helped me on my spiritual journey. And when it helps you as well, it feels like, it feels like this, the magic of a book club, you know, that's why you have a book club. You you want to be collectively inspired by something that we're all reading. However, uh, the Horoscope Witch Book Club, we don't requ- I don't require you to actually read and purchase this book if you don't want to, right? Um, it's my understanding that some people just like <laughs> listening to this. And, uh, you know, some people just like to listen to the podcast without reading the book. Or maybe you're going to listen to the book club series first and then later arrive at the book when it is a good time for you. So that's kind of um, all I want to say. And hi, friends. Welcome back. I know it's been a second since I since we did a did an artist way episode here's where i'm at with my journey uh so i've mentioned this in the previous episodes but this book is truly a a magic book uh, that's really what i want to call it. it it really is magic even though julia cameron does not mention like paganism or using the elements or or, or making spells it really is what this book is it's a book about magic and manifesting what we want but on that note it's also been like the deepest shadow working book I've ever read in my life and that's why it feels like it's almost it like cheapens the book to call it a self-help book because even though it is sort of a self-help book, it feels like so much deeper than that because, you know, even though it's kind of cheesy to like read self-help books, I also, aren't they like the best-selling genre of books or something like that? I feel like we're all secretly reading self-help books under the covers to like see if someone out there has our ticket to happiness or whatever. Um, This book it's deeper than just your run-of-the-mill self-help book and from my understanding like self-help books are typically categorized by like make more money climb the ladder at your career uh you know make more friends or whatever it is uh you know there's categories this book 
the artist way is um, although its main focus is creativity I feel like it's the kind of book that will if you really truly take the medicine it will change your life in all areas and it shows to how our creative process is very much connected to the way we think about money the way we think about God the way we think about spirituality uh, the way we think about human connection the way we think about taking risks it, it, it has so many themes enveloped in it and specifically part three today we are going to be talking a lot about money and how our perception of money does also affect our own perception of creativity and Julia Cameron brings up a good point that um, you know throughout this book it seems like her point is if you are a shadow artist and you have issues right now tapping into your creativity or even making time for your creative process you probably also are afraid of your bank account and you're probably also attached to some sort of your suffering and you're probably also etc 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 so I feel like by just discussing the creative process or lack thereof Julia Cameron sort of leads us down this like rabbit hole of of um, of shadow work and sorry guys I just I was just double checking my that my recording was going um, Mercury retrograde has been fucking me up this morning like hardcore so I'm just paranoid going into this episode that I'm gonna be you know me talking for like five hours straight and then it's like oh wasn't recording uh, but it's recording so we're okay so yes now the rabbit hole let's just talk about the rabbit hole and I'm gonna give a little bit of a uh, an update about where I am with my artist way journey not that you guys really care but we'll just whatever I'll, I'll keep it short okay and then we'll get into the book I the one of the reasons it took me a long time to get at recording artist way part three is because uh, I'm a phony and <laughs> I'm a phony and I haven't been doing regular morning pages or a regular artist date I'll just admit that right off the bat right now <laughs> you know I'm not truly committing myself to this journey at this point and granted you know I'm just I'm just a huge imposter right because I've been <laughs> this entire series I've never fully committed myself to this journey and really doing it right um, and it's not to say that there wasn't a point where I was doing this I would say it was probably like after the last Artist Way Part 2 I think it came out around Thanksgiving and I would say like Thanksgiving to Christmas time I was actually making a really big effort to do the morning pages every day um, I was making an effort to at least go on artist date once in a while I, I was really trying to engross myself in the thing not only for my own sake but also I feel like if I'm being honest like I want to show up to these episodes and like have something to prove to you guys in a weird way even though you guys are like I don't give a fuck Mal like what why would we care but I I don't want to be a phony like I really do want to come to this episode and be like 
oh my god guys I've been doing this and it it changed my life and I have a poem published and this thing is and it's just like not happening that way and like I've mentioned previously I thought this book was going to it was just going to be the cure to my writer's block and it just hasn't been that it's been this like mirror it's been this <laughs> it's been this like almost um I don't know this book it kind of feels like like the devil and the angel like that's sitting on both of your shoulders and like although they're both like giving you shit about how you think and how you live your life <laughs> and there's just something about this book where it's like proceed with caution it's like it's like playing the game Jumanji. Like, once you start playing, <laughs> all these demons are going to start flying out of the book um, or flying out of the game. And that's what really happened to me. And I just have had to take my time because the amount of shadow that has just, like, been squeezed out of me by this book, I've had to, like, slowly integrate, okay? Now, on the topic of morning pages, which is sort of like the bread and butter of this program, right? It's, uh, we've talked about this before in previous episodes, but morning pages are daily stream of consciousness writing. So I believe the rules are you do three pages a day of stream of consciousness writing. So it's a little bit different than journaling. It's not like you're like, dear diary, today I have to mow the lawn and cook dinner. Like it's not that. It's like you really just word vomit onto the page for like three pages, right? Those are the morning pages. So uh, you know all the shit we talked about last time about why we resist the morning pages? I would say around Christmas time, I started to run headfirst into, like, all of the issues that we talked about last episode. Like, why do we resist the morning pages? Um, mainly, now I know I was kind of resisting the morning pages because, um towards the end of 2019 and and really up until today honestly today uh and one of the reasons I'm recording this episode today it feels very serendipitous because I've finally stopped resisting the morning pages but pretty much end of 2019 up until now um I haven't I've been resisting the morning pages because uh you know I think subconsciously I feel a very big shift coming for me and I feel like I maybe don't a I don't want to find out what it is because b when I find out what it is (laughs) it's gonna force me to step into my power and take myself more seriously which is really hard because c Um, (laughs) I like tend to tell myself I'm not capable of this or that. And D really, it's just become apparent at least, at least today, what I've been hiding from myself. And I think that's why we are so resistant to the morning pages because we, we tend to not do the morning pages when we have something to hide from ourselves. And I was just thinking about this. It's like so hard to lie to yourself in writing. 
<laughs> like, you know, we're pretty good at like repressing how we really feel or whatever. And then we give ourselves like massive amounts of anxiety, you know, and we're like, why do we have anxiety all the time? It's like, well, maybe, um, <laughs> maybe we're not telling ourselves the truth about something, or maybe we're not being honest about this or that. Uh, but it's easier to like repress that and ignore that. It's very difficult to repress and ignore that when you're doing stream of consciousness writing. Um, You have the tendency to not be able to write a lie to yourself because you just know it's not the truth. And, And that's kind of where I'm at today where the reason today I was able for the first time in a couple months now to return to the morning pages was because I've kind of admitted to myself some things that I have not wanted to for a while, okay? And I I do feel relieved. And what I also realized is um, sometimes the things that we hide from ourselves and the things that we resist in the morning pages, it's, it's neither good nor bad, right? The shit that I was kind of like hiding from myself when you really think about it objectively it's not good or bad it it, good and bad is just like our subjective response to a neutral event right so like figuring out um like you know you have to end your relationship or you have to move or the city you're in sucks or you hate your job or whatever that all that shit is actually neutral right it's just information But it's the way we perceive that, that's what makes it tumultuous, if we make it that way. You know what I'm saying? So that's what's kind of brought up in the morning pages for me lately. And I finally feel like I'm able to dive back into them because I'm not resisting. And I've been kind of, um, I finally feel okay today. And it's because I've kind of chosen to surrender you know, and here's the thing. Um, the morning pages is actually one of the greatest acts of surrendering. And I'm thinking of the, the hanged man card in the tarot. Okay. And, uh, you know, the hanged man card is kind of about surrendering. Um, but on a deeper level, it's about communicating with God and sort of having having faith really having faith and i've realized how you know doing the morning pages does put you in direct communication with god and it will sort of um it will sort of require you to to consider your your relationship to the word faith right to the word do, do you really have faith? Um, <laughs> you know, and, and that's where it's been kind of, sh- it's kind of struck me lately. Um, like I even said to my therapist yesterday, I'm like, God, like I am a hypocrite. Like I do, I, I do business for God. Not really, <laughs> but you know, I do, I do healing work. Like I, I do spiritual work and I am sitting here like crippled with anxiety and really the source of that is me not being able to find where my faith is you know uh and that's kind of what the morning pages are bringing up for me lately too so that's where i'm at 
at the moment. No, um, you know, I haven't written poems, <laughs> haven't written stories. Um, oh, and the one thing, though, that's one of the other reasons I, I self-sabotaged the morning pages because I think I was actually on the cusp of sort of opening up my creative process and I did start a new journal just to write down like poetry and phrases and I think I dipped my toe into that and then there was just something that like subconsciously shut me down and that brings me to finally this episode where the topics we're going to be covering mainly are our relationship with money our relationship with God and who we actually think God is and we're going to be covering our self-destructive tendencies and why we tend to self-destruct, okay? Um, so, yeah, it's a lot. That's a big episode. So, <laughs> let's get into it. So, on page 91, uh, Julia Cameron says, One of the chief barriers to accepting God's generosity is our limited notion of what we are in fact able to accomplish okay let's just that's just the first line of week five recovering a sense of possibility i'll read it one more time one of the chief barriers to accepting god's generosity is our limited notion of what we are in fact able to accomplish okay so in other words Julia Cameron, she's suggesting that we are sort of vastly underestimating how much we can actually accomplish, how much we can actually get done in this lifetime. And I think she's on to something, right? If you know, you know, my spiritual la-la that sometimes I talk about, I'm a really deep believer in this idea of a soul contract, right? Um, And I'll share this not for the reason of like converting anybody into thinking this way, but this is just kind of how I think. Um, I believe that our souls really do choose to reincarnate to earth, right? And I feel like we choose our parents. We choose a lot of our struggles. Um, It's not to say that that it makes it any easier in the moment of being human, but I think there's a part of our higher self or our soul that kind of, you know, has that soul contract with God and like this is what I'm gonna do and la la guys if we saw all the shit we signed up to do and accomplish we would probably be scared shitless we'd be like there's no way I'm capable of x y and z or like there's no way my soul or I'm going to accomplish this in this lifetime right Uh, And isn't there, there's like a saying like that, if we really saw like what was in our future, like if we really saw what was in our, in our path, uh, we would just be like too scared to even walk it. Like that's why we kind of have to take things day by day or no one can truly tell the future because, and no one truly wants to know the future either. We think we do, but we don't because if we really, again, if we really knew what we were going to do we wouldn't want to do it because we're not confident enough Um, most of us aren't confident enough to actually embrace that path right so i feel like the universe kind of has to give it like little by little by little and here's the thing um i think that 
you know, think about your biggest dream that you have or think about really like a passion or a goal maybe reading this book or just listening to me talk about this book the past two episodes maybe something has been evoked inside of you where you're kind of been like okay you know maybe that's a possibility maybe it's just my own thinking that's keeping me from doing this that would make me truly happy maybe it's just my my attachment to suffering that is keeping me from walking my highest path la 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 okay going back to julia cameron one of the chief barriers to accepting god's generosity is our limited notion of what we are in fact able to accomplish what we don't realize is i think god literally wants us to do that You know, that thing that you love and that thing that you dream about and the difference you want to make. Like, I feel like if you mix your passion with something that's like being of service to others and, you know, you use your passion to somehow affect change or or heal or help or, you know, whatever it may be. Why wouldn't God want us to do that? Right. Like, why wouldn't God want us to walk that path yet? We're constantly placing limits on what God can actually do for us, right? And going forward, um, still on page 91. On the one hand, we take ourselves very seriously and don't want to look like idiots pursuing some patently grandiose scheme. On the other hand, we don't take ourselves or God seriously enough. So we define as grandiose many schemes that, with God's help, may fall well within our grasp. So how does it make you feel (laughs) if, um, you know, again, take the thing, the magic thing that you want, okay? How would it make you feel if, like, you know, God was literally waiting to hand you that thing and all of your perceptions about why you can't do it, why it's going to be too hard, why you're going to look like an idiot if you go after it or whatever it may be. Um, You know, we like to tell ourselves these stories, but I, I think there's something to this, what Julia Cameron is saying. There's something to the fact that we assume we can't do it before we assume we can. And I think that's something about our conditioning too. Not to get too political or anything, but, um, you know, like for instance, the capitalist agenda, okay? I don't really think capitalism wants us to believe that God wants to hand us our, like, our dream. You know what I mean? Because like in capitalist mindset, I think our dream is, um, you know, they, I think the capitalist mindset wants people to limit their dreams and limit their possibilities. And also I think capitalism promotes this idea that like one in a million people, let's say, um, I'm thinking about like (laughs) miscongeniality. You're one in a million. Okay, so like the one in a million people actually get to do the thing that makes them happy or like actually get to manifest this or that. And if you get to that, there's something lucky about you or there's something like special about you. I don't think it like is good for the capitalist agenda if we all walked around thinking 
that with God's help, our dreams may fall well within our grasp. You know, like that would actually change the world. That would change how we're working. Do you know how many people who like, you know, work for like huge corporations or, um, you know, all the people in America who are essentially getting paid, um, as AOC would say, um, who are getting paid modern day slave wages. Like we wouldn't be able to keep that going if every single person in this country or every single person on this planet was of the belief system that God wants to help them. God wants to give them money and God wants them to like succeed and fulfill their wildest dreams you know so I think it's kind of um it it comes from our conditioning I think we're conditioned to think that our wildest dreams are in fact way too wild uh because that would then keep us in the sort of nine to five workforce la-di-da-di-da right um so Julia Cameron also says, remembering that God is my force, sorry, remembering that God is my source, we are all in the spiritual position of having an unlimited bank account. Most of us never consider how powerful the creator really is. Indeed, we draw very limited amounts of power available to us. We decide how powerful God is for us. Okay. So, yeah, let's just just marinate in that, right? Just marinate in that in that phrase, God has an unlimited bank account. <laughs> because, you know, we've been taught the exact opposite and all of us, almost all of us I'd say are probably operating from the exact opposite notion, you know, and even if you don't know you are, even if you don't consciously think God has a limited bank account and they are serving me a very limited allowance. I I maybe would make the assumption that part of your behavior when it comes to money and when it comes to creativity and really just when it comes to what is possible is probably operating under the notion of God has a limited of supply to give you, right? Uh, whereas again, it would be scary. It wouldn't be scary, but it would completely demolish societal structures if everybody walked around thinking God has an unlimited bank account and wants to give me money, right? Um, but here's the thing. The other thing, um, I'm a big fan of Reverend Sydney Flynn. She has the, um, oh fuck, what's her podcast called? Um, She's Onyx Healing on YouTube, and I think her podcast is called Sunday Messages with Reverend Sydney Flynn. Um, I, re- I really like a lot of the things she says. I mean, maybe I would say about 15% of it I don't agree with, but regardless, I'm not the kind of person who like will stop listening to someone just because I disagree with like like a couple of their points, you know, like I, I always kind of want to keep like a healthy discord of many different per- perspectives, even so even if I if I don't agree with some of the shit you're saying, I'll still maybe listen to you unless it's like absurd. And you're talking about like how much you hate like gay people or black people, then I'm like not into it. But <laughs> but like if it's like spiritual stuff, I think we kind of have to keep a healthy discord. Right. But one of the things she says 
that I really liked and it really like changed me in a way shifted my perspective and it kind of relates to Julia Cameron what she just said about how we draw very limited amounts of the power available to us we decide how powerful God is for us um going off of that something that Reverend Sidney Flynn she said God will reflect back the story you are telling yourself and that I just got chills when I said that because that really resonated with my soul and it seems to be true right I mean if you're if you're believing that God has it out for you and that you're never going to have enough money to survive then uh, of course that's what's going to be reflected back to you by the universe you know uh and even if you're probably like, Mal, it's not that easy. It's not that easy. I, I think it might be easier than we think. Uh, I mean, not that changing our perspective is easy, but I think even with me and doing this book, although I haven't been able to keep up with the morning pages or haven't been really to fully able to commit to that part of the book, I think one of the parts of the book that I have been able to sort of implement more fully into my life is this stuff about the money thing. Just simple things like every time I check my bank account and I feel fear, I replace it with a deep breath, money flows easily to me, you know? Or, you know, choosing on a day where maybe I don't make as much money as I wanted to, instead of panicking, choosing to believe that if it didn't flow in this way, the universe has multiple outlets for it to flow in another way, you know? And even just making those little shifts has made a difference in my monthly income, magically so. And that's without totally, that's without even really doing much. That's just like with simple um, affirmations that I'm trying to, to implement into my life, you know? So going to page 92, uh, where should we go? Where should we go? So some of you may be thinking that this sounds like the magic wand chapter. I pray and presto. Sometimes it is how it will feel. Most often what we are talking about seems to be a conscious partnership with what we work along slowly and gradually clearing away the wreckage of our negative patterns clarifying the vision of what it is we want learning to accept small pieces of that vision from whatever source and then one day presto the vision seems to suddenly be in place in other words pray to catch the bus then run as fast as you can okay so i actually really like that and again Society would probably tell us that that would be stupid. That would be like a dumb, idiot way to live your life. Like, really? You're just going to pray to catch the bus and then run? Like, you're not going to have a plan? You're not going to have, like, every single minute planned out? But I think when we metaphorically, of course, pray to catch the bus and run, what we're actually saying is, I am in agreement with spirit and with God meeting me halfway to my journey. And I was just saying this yesterday to someone, I was just saying this to a client, 
we manifest shit all the time, but a lot of the times it's shit that we don't actually want, right? Uh, and it's because humans ha- are manifesting machines, whether you know it or not. But the reason we manifest things that we don't actually want is because we're not letting spirit meet us halfway. So when we pray to catch the bus, then run as fast as we can, we're trusting that not only are we doing our part, but we're including God and spirit into that plan. And that's sort of the missing ingredient that most of us don't do, right? Um, so Julia Cameron says, we come to recognize that God is unlimited in supply and that everyone has equal access. This begins to clear up guilt about having or getting too much. Since everyone can draw on the universal supply, we deprive no one of our abundance. If we learn to think of God, uh, or if we learn to think of receiving God's good as being an act of worship, cooperating with God's plan to manifest goodness in our lives, we can begin to let go of having to sabotage ourselves. So how does that make you feel when she says, we come to recognize that God is unlimited in supply and that everyone has equal access? I think... The word equality is a very, like, difficult word lately, you know, in the past, like, you know, five to ten years and and really the history of the world. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it, I of course I believe in white privilege. Of course I believe uh, in male privilege. Of course I believe that society sort of favors, or the, at least the capitalist agenda favor certain people and I think things are easier for uh, certain people than others right uh, but I also uh, and there's really no but this isn't really a but this is more of an and um, <laughs> and I truly believe every single person on this planet though has equal access to God right and that's where I those two ideas like there is privilege obviously you know privilege exists and everyone has equal access to God those two ideas are kind of sometimes hard for me to integrate right and I don't know I don't know if I really have an answer or anything like really thought-provoking to say I just thought I would put that out there and I also didn't want to like be like I completely agree next and like totally like spiritually bypass like other people's experiences and also I'm aware that I'm speaking from a white cis woman woman's perspective you know so it's like I don't know that's just what I wanted to say what do you guys think if you have any thoughts on this I would love to discuss so dm me or email me and this is part of the book for sure where I wish we were sitting like in a group drinking coffee and we're able to sort of bounce our ideas off of each other. So one thing that Julia Cameron also says on page 92, she says, God has lots of money. God has lots of movie ideas, novel ideas, poems, songs, painting, acting jobs. God has a supply of love, friends, houses that are all available to us. 
By listening to the creator within, we are led to our right path. On this path, we find friends, lovers, money, and meaningful work. Very often, we cannot seem to find an adequate supply. It is because we are insisting on a particular human source of supply. We must learn to let flow manifest itself where it will, not where we will it. Okay. So this is a big one, guys, uh, because like I said, again, we can manifest whatever we want, but is that manifestation in the highest of good? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. When the manifestation is not in your highest good, it's probably because you're forcing the shit out of something, you know? <laughs> and here's the thing. when What do we feel like when we're forcing something versus when we're just letting it flow and, you know, like rewind like 20 minutes ago when we were talking about surrendering and, and um, you know, letting God do half the work too. You know, when we're forcing shit, we're probably going to feel anxious. We're probably going to feel like Mal's been feeling <laughs> the past two months when I wasn't doing my morning pages. Uh, we're probably going to feel exhausted. We're going to feel anxious. We're going to feel like we're like, uh, like we have to almost, um, you know, when we take like a little kid, you know, or this, what, <laughs> you know, when we take a little kid, let's just edit that out here. You know when, like, there's, like, a scene in a movie or something like that when, like, there's, like, a parent and a little kid and, like, maybe the parent is trying to be, like, you know, maybe put a happy face on for, like, society or something and, like, the little kid or their their child is kind of standing right next to them and they just, like, blurt out something like, oh, mommy burnt the pancakes this morning or something like that and, like, the parent's like, shh, don't, they can't know, they can't know, I'm not perfect. Sometimes in life, we kind of feel like that. Like we're trying to like fake it until we make it. And we're trying to like have this like, you know, great face. And we're trying to like look awesome and and pretend like we've got it all of our shit together. But then there's another part of us that's like that little kid that's like, you cried this morning in the shower, right? You remember that, right? Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's, uh, that's the sign that we're probably forcing something into existence that that is not maybe divinely supported yet or maybe you're just not letting God or the universe sort of tweak it in the way that it needs to be tweaked and sometimes you know we will things into existence because we're insisting on this path right we're absolutely insisting that this is the way it has to be and the universe says like okay you know if you want to if you want to do that if you want to insist that this is your house and this is your perfect neighborhood and you want to overpay on this house that's going to have a leak in the basement three months from now go ahead or you could listen to us and we could point you to the house across the road that's in a different neighborhood but that house is like twenty thousand dollars cheaper and it's going to be and it's closer to nature and it's going to make you happy but but if you really want to go into that one you can go in that one you know and, and, oh god i can't even imagine how many times i've like insisted 
that it had to be that way. And you know where it's left me? Tired. (laughs) You know where it's left me? I have wrinkles and I'm 24 years old. You know what I mean? (laughs) Just kidding. Uh, But yeah, and maybe that's just my personality trait, right? Maybe that's just my thing. But I think a lot of people do, you know, insist on certain paths or insist on certain ways um, constantly. And we just make our lives harder. And it's not to say that everything is going to be gravy on our path. It's not to say that everything is going to be easy and a walk in the park once we start letting God into our lives. But it's got to be something. It's got to be a little bit easier than operating from the place of God has a limited bank account. I have to force and will my way into everything and la-di-da-di-da, you know. Uh, So, oh, this is good. So Julia Cameron on 93, she says, The desire to be worldly, sophisticated, and smart often blocks our flow. We have ideas and opinions about where our goods should come from. As a Hollywood screenwriter, I had many rueful conversations with other screenwriters about the fact that while our agents were often invaluable, we seemed to get an awful lot of breaks from the places like my next door neighbor, my dentist's brother, or somebody my wife went to college with. Those breaks are God in source in action. Okay, so, and you know, who is really forcing shit into existence, right? Who's really like, you know, willing all this shit into existence. It's it's not actually us. It's not our higher self. It's our ego, right? So a lot of the times when we insist that we must work at this company, we must go to college, we must end up with this person, um, we must make this amount of money, we must have this career path. When we're trying to force shit, a lot of it has to do with our ego and a lot of it has to do with Sadly, the shit that she just listed. The desire to be worldly, sophisticated, and smart. Okay. I've been there, guys. Do you know how hard... Like, it's it's still hard for me to, like, you know, as a deeply academic person, it's really hard for me to walk my path. And I can't stand when someone thinks I'm, like, dumb, you know? Or, like, I also can't stand when people come up to me and they're like specifically, you know, family members and being like, you know, you're not using your degree or whatever. I'm like, how do you know? It's such a, it's such a point of defense for me because, but it's really coming from ego, right? It's not coming from a higher soul level. And my point being, when we're not, we, when we don't have such a strict idea of how things have to go in life, that's when, dun, 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 we can get our next move from our dentist, our neighbor, the person on the street. You know, we we start to like, again, let flow manifest where it will, not where we will it. Okay, so you guys get the point here. Okay, so, um, and this is a little bit about codependency here. So, on 95, Julia Cameron says... Dependence on the creator within is really freedom from all other dependencies. Paradoxically, it is also the only route to real intimacy with other human beings. 
Freed from our terrible fear of abandonment, we are able to live with more spontaneity. Freed from our constant demands for more and more reassurance, our fellows are able to love us back without feeling so burdened. Yes. So here's another plus side. You know, going back to the whole idea that, you know, we don't want to believe that God is helping us. You know, we we choose then to kind of stay in a, I think in a little bit of a, a place of, you know, we're choosing to stay in the place of God has limited powers, God has a limited bank account, etc., etc. But we don't realize when we refuse to rely on God or the universe, we then start to subconsciously rely on the things on earth like other human beings, um, you know, and that's a lot of pressure, right? It actually will free us from a lot of our codependencies if we start being a little bit more dependent on our relationship with God. Uh, And again, this is coming from a Pisces, right? This is coming from my lens of experience. And also, I didn't say this in the beginning of the episode. Hopefully you guys understand. I think I've said this on multiple episodes, but I'll just say it again. When I say the word God, I know it can be triggering to some I really, really am not talking about the white guy with a beard upstairs, right? I'm talking about like a universal force that's co-creating with us and, and wants us to, you know, live live our purpose. So I think like that's the ultimate per, quote unquote person or that's the ultimate energy that we sh- could be striving to to kind of partner with. And co-manifest with. And when we are more dependent on that source, that's the source that's always giving. Um, you know, I don't know if there's such a thing as like being too dependent on divine source. I mean, as long as we're meeting divine source halfway, it's not to say that we can just sit, on, sit in our house, eat pizza and watch Netflix all day and s- expect the universe or God to deliver our dream to us it wrapped in a bow on our front door you know like we do have to take some kind of action and we do have to meet God you know in this world but instead you know we tend to have a limited notion of what God can do for us and then we put too much pressure on the people places things in our lives and that's a lot of pressure right so Um, she, Julia Cameron is kind of right when she says the ultimate freedom is learning to depend more on universal source and ourselves, our universal source within ourselves. Cause that's the thing. That's the other thing. God is us and we are God. We are our own gods. So even just making small shifts every day, you know, towards believing that we are our own God, um, then we kind of shift away from being overly dependent on other things that may get sort of drained, right? So let's flip to the next page. Um, I'm trying to see. Okay. Ooh, this is good. So this is actually a quote on page 96. So it's on the left hand side, it's a quote by Margaret Young. 
She says, often people attempt to live their lives backwards. They try to have more things or more money in order to do more of what they want so they will be happier. The way it actually works is the reverse. You must first be who you really are, then do what you really need to do in order to have what you want. That's a mind fuck, right? Because here's the thing. We've been we've been taught so so vehemently that uh, you know in order to be creatives we should just kind of you know there's a side hustle required or there's um, first a lifetime of working a nine to five office job and then during retirement that's when you can really do what you need to do right and to be honest I think that's just some people's path right like there's no judgment in doing that and I I don't mean to like be yelling at those people who do take that path right Uh, but I also want to give voice to that path just feeling so wrong to some other people including myself (laughs) and I kind of noticed that even as a young person I noticed that sort of dialogue of you make your money and then you know it's that money that allows you to be happier do the things that you want to do right um there was never really an option presented of what if you do what you love to do and make money through that <laughs> you know like that's almost that again is that one in a million dream that quote unquote no one gets to really do right like you're you're an idiot if you think that that is what's possible Uh, but there's something about this quote that really hit me and I think too as a young psychic practitioner a lot of the clients that I see are much older than me and a lot of the clients that I see are you know maybe decades into doing this work that gives them money and health insurance but then they show up across my table and kind of say I'm not happy and I want something different Uh, and like that's kind of what I'm almost more afraid of that again not that there's anything wrong with that journey right because we all have different journeys and it's never too late and it's never too Um, And I don't want to like offend anybody who might be listening to this who is like an older gender or older than me. And I don't want to be like, I know everything. And I'm like walking my path. And all you have to do is walk your path because it's very difficult for me. And it's especially difficult when so many older people are like blaring at you like you're an idiot. Don't do this. (laughs) But I think it would be a lot easier if, you know, as younger people, we maybe committed to more of that notion of, again, God wants me to do what I want to do. I'm going to make my life, uh, you must first be who you really are. So I'm going to be who I really am. I'm going to do what I really need to do in order to have what I really want. You know, if more young people had that mentality, I think we could save ourselves a lot of time in the future of like waking up one morning when we're like 45 and being like shit like I didn't paint that painting (laughs) you know or like I didn't 
do what I needed to do and now I have to do it but and I can still do it but I'm like 50 years old now and it's not to say that's you're not it's not too late because everybody again arrives at their path at exactly the right time so don't doubt that and don't live your life regretting that you didn't do it sooner but I just say this for any young person who's listening to this, who's around my age and who's struggling with these same things and, you know, who maybe you're like me and you tend to have like crippling self-doubt, you know, I think that quote can kind of help us realize that we are doing the right thing for us, right? And Julia Cameron also kind of, uh, do I really want to go into that? Uh, uh. Oh, you know what I want to go into? On page 98, Julia brings up the virtue trap. So this is something that we may be kind of trapped into when it comes to ignoring um, our creative process, right? So, um, yeah, like switching gears here, 98, Julia Cameron, she says... Many of us have made a virtue out of deprivation. We have embraced a long-suffering artistic anorexia as martyr as a martyr's cross. We have used it to feed a false sense of spirituality grounded in being good, meaning superior. I call this seductive faux spirituality the virtue trap. Spirituality has often been misused as a route to an unloving solitude, a stance where we proclaim ourselves above our human nature. This spiritual superiority is really only one more form of denial. (laughs) For an artist, virtue can be deadly. The urge towards respectability and maturity can be stultifying, even fatal. Uh, And then she goes on to say, We strive to be good, to be nice, to be helpful, to be unselfish. We want to be generous of service of the world. But what we really want is to be left alone. (laughs) So this part actually overlaps with one of my first horoscope book clubs, which is Women Who Run With the Wolves, right? And Clarissa Pincola Estes she talks a lot about like how this pressure specifically on women but I think it's with everybody um you know this pressure to be like sweet kind nice good non-disruptive oh my god like it's by now uh, that do you know the anger that's created inside of me (laughs) like it's just um you know by the time you've lived your whole life by that by the time you get to like you know my age you're like ready to punch someone you're like I there's something in me that's like I don't want to be nice anymore like I'm not actually nice (laughs) like I am nice but uh, like she said it's um it's so infuriating when you know we have to sort of strive we're striving to be good nice helpful unselfish and somehow that correlates with not being creative because somehow creativity and and working on our shit that we really love to do somehow that's been pushed over to like the other side the bad you know the bad stuff the stuff that makes you selfish and that makes you weird and that makes you look like an idiot you know 
And that's where I think she really has a point. What we really want is to be left alone. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. <laughs> Praise Muhammad. Praise Buddha. All we want is to be left alone. I would agree with that. Uh, you know, even though we think we're afraid to be alone, I think a lot of us just want to be left alone, right? And she, she continues. She says, afraid to be selfish, we lose ourselves. We become self-destructive. Uh, so the question, are you self-destructive, is asked so frequently that we seldom hear it accurately. What it means is, are you destructive of yourself? And what that really asks us is, are you destructive of your true nature? So by really trying to be like good, sweet, kind, nice, um, people pleaser, you know, what? if you have... You know, if you're like me and you have, um, <laughs> this is my made-up illness, uh, PPPS, um, people-pleasing perfectionist syndrome. <laughs> my coworkers at work are like, you have to stop saying that. Like, people are going to think this is a real illness. And I'm like, it is a real illness. And it's called codependency, right? But I prefer PPPS. <laughs> so if you have people-pleasing perfectionist syndrome, especially if you have that, I think creativity is particularly a dangerous space because then it requires us to be selfish. And that's actually one of my first messages I feel like I almost ever got from spirit when I really started to open myself up like intuitively and psychically. Uh, truly, that was a, a really blaring message that I continue to get um, we are meant to be selfish and it's really a, um, it's a virtue trap. Uh, the fact that we've ta been taught that being selfish is bad and the connotation of being selfish, I think is, is misunderstood. And I think the word selfish gets kind of put in with like oh you're an asshole you're a douchebag you're like you don't care about anybody else or whatever um when really to walk our path and to be you know doing things that are in alignment and to be creating what we want to create being selfish is required and it's kind of required to rethink that word and it's very possible to be selfish and not be an asshole and care about others at the same time. It's so possible. Uh, like being selfish is not does not equal not caring about others. Maybe in our traditional context it does. But in the context of this book, being selfish means that you're going to choose you and your creative process because that's what that's what you're doing with God, you know, like that's, that's why you're here. And, uh, so the example she get she gives for the virtue trap, she says on the end of 99, Fred knows full well that if he stops being so nice, fabulous Fred, his oversized nice guy alter ego will bite the dust. Martyred Mary knows the same thing as she agrees to go round five a babysitting for her sister so she can go out saying no to her sister would be saying yes to herself and that is a responsibility that mary just can't handle free on a friday night what would she do with herself that's a good question and one of many that mary and fred use their virtue to ignore 
are you self-destructive is a question that the apparently virtuous would be bound to answer with the responding no. They then conjure up a list providing how responsible they are. But responsible to whom? The question is, are you self-destructive? Not, do you appear self-destructive? And most definitely not, are you nice to other people? (laughs) Yeah, and here's the thing too. So, you know, again, going back to psychic work. So I get to see a lot of people's issues, right? Because you come to get to do psychic work or whatever um, or astrology to kind of get some insight on your issues I'm not exaggerating when I say and especially with women nine out of ten issues is because we're giving too much to other people and we're literally distracting ourselves and we're in that virtue trap and that, that distracts us from actually doing what we need to be doing for ourselves, okay? So if anything, maybe it feels a little bit unsafe, okay? Maybe maybe it feels unsafe what I'm saying and you're like, Mal, I can't believe you're telling me that I need to be selfish, you know? <laughs> That's okay. You can respect that. But I would, uh, or I can respect that, but I would just kind of consider... Um, you know, writing about that, you know, making that a, a, maybe a prompt in your in your morning pages or whatever. Like, what is my relationship to the word selfish and what have I been taught about the word selfish? And ultimately, if I were to redefine the word selfish, what would happen in my life? Okay. Um, so... And then she gives us a couple exercises. I'll give us one. Um, Are you self-destructive? This very difficult question to answer. To begin with, it requires that we know something about our true self. And that is the very self we have been systematically destroying. (laughs) One quick way to assert the degree of drift is to ask yourself this question. What would I try if it weren't too crazy? And then she gives us a bunch of shit like scuba diving, skydiving, belly dancing, Latin dancing, getting my poems published, buying a drum set, bicycling through France, dancing, buying a sketchbook, la-di-da-di-da. So we can kind of discern too, like when we list all that shit that we like would like to try or the stuff that seems like way too crazy, quote unquote, to like actually do in this lifetime. When we list that stuff, we might realize that, um, hello, there are people who do this stuff every day. You know, there's a way to do this stuff. And perhaps it is just me that's been keeping myself and my self-destructive tendencies have been keeping me from actually doing these things, right? And the other exercise that comes at the end of this chapter is, um, <laughs> the, so it's a prompt. So you're going to write, the reason I can't really believe in a supportive God is dot, 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 list five grievances. God can take it. <laughs> so I'll be interested too if you guys try that one. I'm going to try that one too. Um, so, you know, all the reasons you can't believe that God is supporting you. Okay. So let's see what do we got with the time here. Okay. We're about an hour in. I think I'm going to try to make this episode about 90 minutes. So we, we're going to dip in now to the next chapter 
And I think we even get deeper into the money thing here. So, uh, on page 105, Julia Cameron gives this example about Nancy. So, I'm a believer, Nancy declares, I just don't believe God gets involved with money. Although she doesn't recognize it, Nancy carries two self-sabotaging beliefs. She believes not only that God is good, too good to do money, but also that money is bad. Nancy, like many of us, needs to overhaul her God concept in order to fully recover her creativity. Okay. Whew. So, I, you know, ballpark here ballpark um, statistic. This is like a math statistic. But I want to say, you know, the way I see the world, I'm just going to ballpark say 95% of us carry the underlying belief that money is bad. Okay. And do do you agree? Do you disagree? I just think that such a, uh, again, that goes with the capitalist agenda though, right? Because money if money is bad then we overvalue hard work um you know we overvalue being busy or being burnt out or being stressed out because we're like always fighting the enemy which is money but if we were to befriend money and accept the belief that god has an unlimited bank account and wants money to flow easily to us then all of those self-destructive notions would be destroyed, right? (laughs) And this is one of my favorite parts about chapter six. Julia Cameron says, we have a new employer. Um, Oh, so this is actually, this is a bit from the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. So it says, we have a new employer. If we take care of God's business, he will take care of ours. And then Julia Cameron says, To to battered AA newcomers, such thinking is a lifeline. Desperate for a way to achieve sobriety, they cling to this thought when worried about their own precarious abilities to live effectively. Expecting divine help, they tend to receive it. Tangled Tangled lives smooth out. Tangled relationships gain sanity and sweetness. To those less desperate... Such as uh, such assur- assurances sound foolish, even deceptive, like we're being conned. The God who has a job for us, the God who has fulfilling work, the God who holds abundance and dignity, who holds a million possibilities, the key to every door, this God can sound suspiciously like a flim-flam man. <laughs> Not exactly sure what a flim-flam man is, but maybe that kind of God sort of sounds like a shyster who like sells watches out of his trench coat on the corner of the sidewalk. You know what I mean? Like, when I say that, you're like, that's not what I learned in Sunday school, Mal. Like, I did not learn that God, um, you know, wants to take care of me, has fulfilling work for me, and, you know, holds abundance and dignity, you know, for me. You know, it's just, it's not what we want to believe. But going back to the whole little tidbit from the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous, We have a new employer. If we take care of God's business, he will take care of ours. That goes back to this book really requires us to 
you know, reestablish God in our lives in some way and sort of repartner with God and start working on our belief system that God really wants us to be you know, to wants us to achieve and wants us to make money, right? And that's actually kind of a radical thought. Like even the sentence, God wants me to make money. A lot of you are like, nah, 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 can't, can't believe that. You know what I mean? But this book will really challenge that. And some of the quotes on the side of 106, Raymond, Raymond Charles Barker says, money is God in action. Shakti Gawain says, The more we learn to operate in the world based on trust in our intuition, the stronger our channel will be and the more money we will have. Mike Phillips says, Money will come when you are doing the right thing. Those are things I really want to believe. And honestly, I think I do. Like, uh, and uh, I feel like I'm constantly being proved wrong in a way. Like, you know, you wouldn't think that my line of work is going to be like particularly financially abundant, but so far I feel like I've made, um, you know, a pretty comparable amount of money to what I would have made if I stuck on like more of the like nine to five, like do what society's expected of me work. And honestly, and this is kind of filled, what I'm about to say, I don't know if it's filled with shame, but there is a part of me that's afraid I'm going to be perceived as lazy when I say this. But I'm thinking, you know, in this work and sort of creating my own business that can kind of go anywhere with me because my business is me and my business is being of service to others in some way. Um, if I can have like, a couple clients a day and make what I need to make in a day within, you know, a couple hours or whatever, um, and not have to like slave my life away. Like I want that life. Like I want more free time. I don't necessarily want to feel like I'm working hard all the time. And again, there's shame attached to that because some of you may be listening and be like, being like, Oh, she's a bratty millennial. She's, you know, know, which might be true. But I I don't, I I am questioning, like, what's the value of, like, hard work and exhaustion and, and burnout? You know, like, wouldn't I do better work if I was working less, but somehow manifesting more than enough in that time and then spending a lot of my life enjoying myself you know and again people are going to always tell you that's not possible you're just a dreamer but that kind of life is possible but it's only possible in the context of God has lots of money that they want to give to me if only I was walking on my path (laughs) uh so Julia Cameron on 108, she says, remember, you are the cheapskate, not God. As you expect God to be more generous, God will be able to be more generous with you. What we really want to do is what we are really meant to do. When we do what we are meant to do, money comes to us, doors open to us, we feel useful, and the work we do feels like play to us. Again, There's a lot of people on the other line. I can feel it. I can feel it. You guys are like, "Uh, I don't know about that. 
like life just can't be that simple you know so that's okay if we're still in that place and I kind of am too if we're still in that mindset that's okay and that's one of the reasons why it's been taking me so long to get through this damn book because every single chapter will challenge the way you've been thinking and it will provoke you to sort of imagine there's a different possibility right um and then on 109 all too often we become blocked and blame it on our lack of money this is never an authentic block the actual block is our feeling of constriction our sense of powerlessness art requires us to empower ourselves with choice at the most basic level this means choosing to do self-care okay um so I do feel like she's onto something, okay? Because like we've talked about in previous chapters, one of the most common excuses for why people don't create is because we don't have enough money and we don't have enough time, right? But that's coming from a place of like disempowerment, right? And when we say that, I don't have enough money and I don't have enough time, it's also related, like she says, to the way we care for ourselves and also the way we view our own power, right? Um, oh man, shit, there was a quote about our power that um, I really wanted to read, but I don't know. Give me a second. Take a water break here. Take a water break. <laughs> Take a deep breath. You know what I'm saying? Um, oh, man, I don't know if I could find it. But on the on the point of, um, you know, empowering ourselves and empowering ourselves to sort of take the time that we need and dedicate the energy that we need to dedicate to our creative process, I think a lot of the reason, too, we don't do it is because we are scared of our power. Again, Another common problem that I've seen in my very limited time doing psychic work and astrology work, uh, we think that we're afraid of dying. We think we're afraid of sickness. We think we're afraid of losing our money. But you know what we're more afraid of? Our power. And I can say that with 100% confidence. I feel it in people's energy i feel it in people's chakras i feel it in people's words i feel in feel it in people's just the way they walk i and it's including me too i think we're deeply 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 afraid of our power and i think that leads to a lot of the shit we've already discussed in this episode um like the virtue trap um you know believing we're never going to have enough etc etc so then she kind of talks about on this note about self-care a lot of us are denying ourselves luxuries okay so um let me be clear so on page 109 let me be clear that the luxury i'm talking about here has nothing to do with penthouse views designer clothes zippy foreign sports cars or first class travel uh, this man enjoys all those privileges but what he doesn't enjoy is his life he has denied himself the luxury of time, time with friends, time with family, above all, time with himself, with no agendas or pre-natural accomplishment. He 
His many former passions have dwindled to mere interests. He is too busy to enjoy pastimes. He tells himself he has no time to pass. The clock is ticking and he is using it to get famous. So, um, you know, I think on the topic of like denying ourselves luxuries and our limited notion of what a luxury really is, uh, that kind of goes back to what we truly want is to be left alone. <laughs> but yet our whole lives, a lot of the times, are are sort of designed for us to not be left alone ever, you know? <laughs> and um, that raises the question on page 110, what gives us true joy? That, that answer, that, that is the question to ask concerning luxury and for each of us the answer is very different for Bernice the answer is raspberries fresh raspberries she laughs at how easily pleased she is for the cost of a pint of raspberries she buys herself an experience of abundance sprinkled on cereal cut up with a peach poured over a scoop of ice cream she can buy her abundance at the supermarket and even get it quick frozen if she had to for Alan, music is a great luxury. A musician, when he was younger, he had dived, He had long denied himself the right to play. Like most blocked creatives, he suffered from a deadly duo, artistic anorexia and prideful perfectionism. There was no practice shots for his player, for this player. He wanted to be at the top, and if he couldn't be there, he wouldn't be anywhere near his beloved music. Um, etc etc so and there's other examples like of luxury that you wouldn't necessarily consider luxury like for Laura a dime store set of watercolor paints for Kathy a deluxe Crayola, Crayola set um, luxury is a learned practice for most of us blocked creatives are often the Cinderella's of the world focused on others at the expense of ourselves we may even be threatened by the idea of spoiling ourselves for once right so luxury and the idea of making time for ourselves being selfish and spending time alone goes hand in hand and what Julia Cameron is trying to get us to see is that if we sort of indulge ourselves in these small luxuries, maybe it is today, you're going to go to the store and you're going to buy that 64 pack of Crayola crayons and you're going to spend 20 minutes before bed doodling. You know, what if that's your small luxury? Even that is... It, it, it's changing your energy. It's shifting your energy and telling yourself on a subconscious level that you deserve fun, you deserve play, you deserve joy. And all of that shit speaks to your inner child and who is our ultimate creator. It's our inner child. For me, it's actually, um, you know, I'm very cliche. I'm very basic bitch. I, um, you know, when I do go on an artist date, um, I like to go to Starbucks and my luxury is, you know, getting a drink at Starbucks. And even though getting a drink at Starbucks is like expensive or whatever, um, that's my luxury. And also, if that's what you need to do to get yourself to go on your artist date, like you need to buy yourself like a $6 matcha latte or whatever the hell, like that's what you need to do, you know, uh, and if a pint of raspberries for $5 a week is going to help you shift your energy into 
believing that you deserve to enjoy life, then that's really what we have to do. And remember, it's not God that's a cheapskate, it's us, right? Okay. So kind of to finish up this Artist Way episode, I want to touch on perfectionism, which is now going into chapter 7 and page 119. But first, I'm going to read this on page 119. Learn to accept the possibility that the universe is helping you with what you are doing. Become willing to see the hand of God and accept it as a friend's offer to help with what you are doing. Because many of us unconsciously harbor the fearful belief that God would find our creations decadent or frivolous or worse, we tend to discount this creator-to-creator help. Try to remember that God is the great artist. Artists like other artists. Expect the universe to support your dream. It will. Oh, I love that. I love that. And, you know, that's the beauty of realizing that God wants you to create what you are creating, right? Because God loves creators because God is a creator, right? And, um, you know, starting to view your morning pages, your small luxuries, your dance class, your um, walk in the park, your time alone, the moments that you are selfish, what if those are small acts of worship to God? You know, like, isn't that a mind-boggling idea? And what if those moments aren't you being selfish? They're actually you kind of going to the church of yourself. That's what really Julia Cameron is shifting us to believe. So, now, this is for everybody out there with PPPS. Okay, so still on page 119. Perfectionism has nothing to do with getting it right. It has nothing to do with fixing things. It has nothing to do with standards. Perfectionism is a refusal to let yourself move ahead. It is a loop, an obsessive, debilitating, closed system that causes you to get stuck in the detail of what you are writing or painting or making and lose sight of the whole. And uh, in reality, this is going to 120, um, or I'm going to say the perfectionist is never satisfied. The perfectionist never says, this is pretty good. I think I'll just keep going. To the perfectionist, there is always room for improvement. The perfectionist calls this humility. In reality, it is egoism. Uh, egotism. It is pride that makes us want to write a perfect script, paint a perfect painting, perform a perfect audition monologue. Perfectionism is not a quest for the best. It is a pursuit of the worst in ourselves, the part that tells us that nothing we will ever do will be good enough, that we should try again. No, we should not. All right, so I think that point she makes about perfectionism being masked with humility, that is something I am, oh my, raise your hand, raise your hand guys if you're guilty of that, because I am so guilty of that, like, I'm so guilty of being like, oh, I'm a perfectionist, I just need everything to be perfect, or like, you know, I, like, you know, I'm just like, it's like a job interview, you know, like the cliche when they ask you your... (laughs) 
when they ask you your flaws or whatever and you're like well I guess my biggest flaw is perfectionism I just need everything to be great like and it's like really not (laughs) a flaw you know that's me you know and I and I'm realizing how destructive that is and really it wasn't until um take a shot every time Mal talks about Malaysia on her podcast but uh when I was in Malaysia I just saw a completely different part of life where things literally could not be perfect for me like it was impossible to get anything to be perfect there I mean the culture is just completely different than American culture nobody started on time my students weren't listening you know half the time uh like it it was just it, it was just like a perfectionist nightmare and it was also my soul's journey to be in that for a whole year and that did help me let go of a lot of things about things needing to be perfect right and uh, you know, in kind of being faced with having to accept that something is never going to be perfect, that is a tough pill to swallow, especially because if you are a perfectionist, you know how it feels when you your perception tells you that you've done something perfectly. And like to meet that over and over again is really difficult. And another thing that's kind of challenged my perfectionist inside of me is, in fact, making this podcast. And, oh, you guys, you don't even know... I I re-record this thing. I I think about too much about what I'm going to say and some of the best shit I even do is just when I'm right now like just talking without a script. And it's really terrifying to me when I think that I put out something for a, a pretty big chunk of people to listen to and it's it's terrifying to think that it's not perfect in some way. It's terrifying to think that you know, maybe I didn't say a word right, or I said something that accidentally offends someone else, or um, this podcast maybe doesn't please every single person who's listening to it. Oh my God, like, yeah, like, that's actually a fear, like, that would be a fear of, um, like, oh my God, what if someone walks away from listening to this podcast and is like, oh, that girl's an idiot, you know, but really, that's not my fear. My fear is, I think, like Julie Cameron says, it's not being enough. And it is rooted in ego, right? On page 121, Julia Cameron asks, what would I do if I didn't have to do it perfectly? And the answer is a great deal more than I am. Okay, so ain't that the truth? And then she says on page 121, usually when we say we can't do something, what we really mean is that we won't do it unless we can guarantee we'll do it perfectly. As blocked artists, we unrealistically expect and demand success from ourselves and and recognition of that success from others. With that as an unspoken demand, a great many things remain outside of our sphere of possibility. As actors, we tend to allow ourselves to be typecast rather than working to expand our range. As singers, we stay married to our safe material. As songwriters, we try to repeat a formula hit. 
In this way, artists who do not appear blocked to the outside eye experience themselves as blocked internally, unable to take the risk of moving into new and more satisfying artistic territory. Once we are willing to accept that anything worth doing might even be worth doing badly, our options widen. If I didn't have to do it perfectly, I would try. la di da di da da Okay. So, actually, I'll read this list. If I didn't have to do it perfectly, I would try stand-up comedy, modern dancing, whitewater rafting, archery, learning German, puppeteering, water ballet, wearing lipstick, reading my poetry in public, learning to ride a bike, taking a watercolor class, etc., etc. So, I, I, I do think that that pressure, again... Um, she's saying as blocked artists, we unrealistically expect and demand success from ourselves and recognition of that success from others. I am so guilty of that. Oh my God, I'm so guilty. And you know, that's not fair to you, you know, like that's not fair to anybody who's even like witnessing any one of my creations, right? And it feels like a stretch to call this podcast (laughs) a creation, but it's not fair that, I'm like wanting validation from my listeners like you know what I mean it's not fair to that means that I'm being overly dependent again on that outside source and what did we talk about about 45 minutes ago we talked about learning to shift our energy to that dependency on ourselves our core being and on God and you know if I took the mindset that you know, creating this podcast is purely an act of worship for the universe or for God, and it's something that I do for myself in order to be selfish, then suddenly the people who are witnessing this creation, it's free, right? And our frequency together feels so much better because then the frequency is sort of like you're free to come, free to go. Mal doesn't need anything from you, (laughs) You know, I I just, I'm just here doing what I do. And if you listen, great. If you don't, well, granted, this is still my creation. And that's the thing. I think in the age of social media, a lot of the times perfection is linked to validation, right? So if something is done perfectly, we will then receive the validation that we so desperately need. But what I've been struggling with especially in therapy the past couple months, um, you know, no amount of validation is ever enough for a perfectionist, right? Uh, You know, no, it doesn't matter. It, It really doesn't. It's like, you wonder, like, why does this thing, this validation, this trophy or this prize or this, this nice DM or whatever, it feeds you for like five minutes and then it's like, poof. And, uh, and that's because like the perfectionist mindset, you never, you never are enough. So it's so liberating to start kind of realizing that it's not virtuous to be a perfectionist. Um, to be a perfectionist is kind of selfish, but not in that good way we were talking about, in more of that asshole kind of way. <laughs> and um, perfectionism and validation do lead us to jealousy. So... 123. Jealousy is a map. Each of our jealousy maps differ. Each of us will probably be surprised by some of the things we discover on our own. I, for example, have never been eaten alive with resentment over the success of women novelists. 
but I took an unhealthy interest in the fortune and misfortune of women playwrights. I was their hardest critic until I wrote my first play. With that action, my jealousy vanished, replaced by a feeling of camaraderie. My jealousy had actually been a mask for my fear of doing something I really wanted to do, but was not brave enough to take action towards. Jealousy is always a mask for fear. Fear that we aren't able to get what we want. Frustration that somebody else seems to be getting what is rightfully ours, even if we are too frightened to reach for it. As its root, jealousy is a stingy emotion. It doesn't allow for the abundance and multiplicity of the universe. Jealousy tells us there is room for only one, one poet, one painter, one whatever you dream of being. You're one in a million. Okay, I gotta stop. Uh, so uh, here's the thing. Yeah, uh, if I'm being like real upfront with you guys, like really real, uh, where my jealousy really lights on fire, it comes from money. Um, like, so I will, if I view someone like making more money than me in certain contexts, not every, it's not like every time, every day I look at someone and I'm like, I'm jealous of you, you make more money. But, it, you know, in certain contexts, um, you know, that really eats at me because I think it relates back to A, my underlying belief that God has a, a God has a limited bank account and a limited allowance that they are allowed to give me right it also relates to the un the underlying belief that um you know unrealistic like I'm doing something unrealistic and thus I can't be financially successful right it relates to all of really it goes back to money is bad right uh so that really is the thing that lights me on on fire with jealousy sometimes I mean it's not all the time but sometimes, like, I don't, I don't really feel that jealous when I see someone, like, more attractive than me or uh, whatever. Like, really, it kind of goes back to what my, um, I think what my family conditioned me to believe what was worthy or what made you worthy. And the way my family conditioning went, which I assume is kind of a lot like yours, is... Um, you know, you're worthy if you kind of like have a good job and you make money and you can support yourself, right? So that kind of came to my ability to do that kind of came to sort of defy my worth as a person. And that's something I've been trying to undo. And it's hard to undo that. It's like you're trying to undo, unscrew that from your brain and then trying to establish money flows easily to me. God wants me to have money. Uh, you know, there's no reason to be jealous of this person or that person because, um, money flows easily to me. Right. So like, uh, she's right in the sense, jealousy lives only in a world of limitations and it, jealousy lives in the world where God is a capricious, what <laughs> God is like that kind of father figure that wants to punish us or or doesn't have enough for everybody right um, jealousy doesn't live in the world where uh, the world where God wants everybody to do what makes them happy you know and I said this on an Instagram TV video maybe a couple weeks ago I think it was for the Leo uh, new moon 
thingy thing. And uh, I said, I, I did get a message that like competition and jealousy and all of that shit, it's not actually real. Uh, Spirit was giving me this very interesting, like almost this image of all of our paths like if you can imagine like a million different paths kind of running like rivers like kind of next to each other but none of those paths are really intertwining right like all of those paths every single person's different path yes they're kind of like right next to each other but there's clearly only one person per road or one person per path and if you try to even go down someone else's path, you can't do it, right? It's impossible. The only thing that's possible is either you walk your path or you just sit there and don't move forward. Uh, so it's to say that literally only you can do what you do, right? doesn't matter if there's a million psychics, a million astrologers, a million tarot readers, a million artists, a million mus musicians, doesn't matter. You're literally the only one who can walk your path and create what you want to create. No one can walk your road and you can't walk anybody else's road. And I know it sounds cheesy, but I feel like the reason Spirit was showing me this was because they were trying to show me that that, that notion of jealousy and competition Although it kind of sounds obvious now that I say it, it's coming from a place of ego. It's coming from a place of monkey mind. Um, and even though it maybe sounds obvious, I think these are also still real emotions that we experience every single day. You know what I mean? Um, or on a regular basis, at least. And if you're going to lie, like, come on, don't lie, don't lie. Like, you, you've experienced jealousy before. You've at least experienced um, worry that that person is better than you or for some reason like you're not capable of this but that person is you know like we've all had moments like that but again it's because we're limit we're limiting the possibility of what god can give us and jealousy only exists in the world that has limits right so uh she gives us kind of like this exercise to kind of end this whole episode uh she gives us this episode this uh exercise a jealousy map so you write who why and the action anecdote so for instance this is just an example who am i jealous of my sister libby why she has a real art studio anecdote fix my spare room and make it into an art studio who am i jealous of my friend ed why he writes good crime novels action try writing your own crime novel <laughs> who Anne sexton why she's a famous poet action anecdote publish my long hoarded poems so one of the things we don't realize too is our jealousy is a map for probably something we could be doing and maybe we can't do it specifically exactly like that other person we could be doing it our own way right and we could be doing it um you know in a way that's special to us and in a way that we are meant to do on our path. Uh, so if you really feel like you are struggling with jealousy at some point in your creative path, that might be a really good exercise to do if only to prove to yourself that there's an anecdote for every jealous feeling, okay? 
Um, and that's really it uh, that I have for you guys today. I don't have much time to keep recording anyways. And I will say this on the next podcast episode, which I think is going to be a new moon, the new moon Pisces sermon. But if you have uh, supported me on Patreon, I know I sound like a cheese ball, but thank you so much. Like seriously, I'm so happy to have you. And I set the goal for my Patreon to have 23 supporters and I'm already like 30% or something into that goal and I can't tell you how much that means to me like the fact that that happened so fast and genuinely uh genuinely the uh the offering that I have which is like the letter writing thing the tarot letter thing uh it makes me so happy like that truly brings me joy like that's like my luxury thing that I'm doing lately like to write you guys those tarot letters before I go to bed and then like mail them it's so much fun so thank you so much for like even allowing me to do this and thank you for sort of believing in my project but I will say that again on the next episode because I know not all of my listeners my reg regular listeners listen to the book club and my book club listeners may not listen to the regular episode. So just, just in case we're having some different overlapping people, but thank you so much for listening in general. And I really, really appreciate it. And let me know if you are joining in on the artist way journey, or if you're just listening and, and considering if that's, if that's the case, that's okay too. All right, guys, I got to bounce. Uh, I'll see you next episode. Bye-bye.